The following broadcast has been approved for Elite Hornets fans. What a block by Cody Zeller. Walker down the lane, drive, shoots, scores! Game over! Bringing back the buzz is only the beginning. We will not go quietly into the night. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. It's Hive Talk Live. Welcome in, Hornets fans. You are listening to Hive Talk Live Thursdays, brought to you by ESPN 730 right here on AtTheHive.com. It's Hornets Talk for the Hardcore Fan, and we are live in the Gittimer.com studios in beautiful Uptown Charlotte. I'm Doug Branson. What's going on, my man? Justin. Justin joining me from ESPN 730. Hey, uh, He's so excited. He's so excited about the uh, Cavs I'm, victory I'm that happy. he can't even speak. I'm, I'm happy. Sometimes you're at a loss for words. <laughs> um, you know, when you watch games like that, sometimes you know you have to scratch, you know, scratch your head and, and make sure are you witnessing what your eyes are um, are looking at. Uh, well, but, I tell you one thing: we were all witnesses. As I like that. Yeah, there you I go. I like that right That's, there. Yeah, That's a people, good know, yeah, people know what I'm talking about. Hey, you can listen to us every Tuesday at 6 p.m. right here on HiveTalkLive.com. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast aggregator. Someone asked me about our. RSS feed, and that's the feed that pushes our podcast. I'm getting, I'm like getting my glasses on here. This is the feed that pushes our podcast out to the internet. I like that. Great, but people on. use this RSS feed to get the podcast in other ways, other than iTunes and Stitcher. So if you need that, go to Twitter at Hive Talk Live and go to our page on Twitter, and I posted it some hours ago. So if you do need that, it is there. Uh, so with that. Let's swarm Charlotte. This is a big show. I mean, obviously, we're excited to talk about the Hornets defeating King James, getting that victory that has eluded them, you know, from his Miami days to his Cleveland, number two Cleveland days. And they finally get it. It was the first time they have beaten a LeBron-led team since 2010, the Bobcats playoff year. So, you know, the Hornets, a team named the Hornets, has really never beaten LeBron. So this was huge. It was. Um... For many reasons. Not just, I mean, they're, they're the number one team in the East. So just take apart the whole significance of beating King James. They beat the number one team in the East. You know, I didn't think the Hornets would win. Um, and then, you know, I go to the arena for shoot-around yesterday morning, and Clifford, you know, informs us that, you know, Kimba's not playing. He has to have an MRI. So once I hear that Kimba's not playing, I'm like, yeah. oh, gosh, I, I, don't, know how, I don't know how pretty this is going to get. And I was wrong. Well, that's a great point because I believe I ignorantly predicted a guaranteed loss if Kimba was not able to give it a go on the Tuesday show and I'm so glad that the Hornets decided to to prove me wrong. You know, it takes a real man to admit when they're lost. When they're, when they're wrong. wrong, yeah, no, and I totally, I totally admit it. And I'm wrong quite often, so I, <laughs> I've had a lot of practice. All right, the Hornets get the victory, one hundred six to ninety seven, a nine point victory against the definitive number one team in the East. And not only that, but a team, Justin, that had really gotten back on track since firing David Blatt. They they seem to be a rejuvenated Cleveland squad, and a lot of it had to do with Kevin Love finding his way. We talked a lot about this in our preview on Tuesday. Kevin Love, 4 of 12 from the field, 12 points, 12 rebounds, 
the Hornets did a great job of really locking in on him and making him uncomfortable in that first quarter. The, you know, I, I'm still trying to just. I like how exact this guy's exasperated. He's like, I just, I don't know. I, you know, when I'm, I'm thinking about it, I was actually driving over here. Even as I'm watching the game, and the Hornets are in it, even to start the game. You know, and they had five first quarter, um, five turnovers in the first quarter. And you know, when mm-hmm. they turn the ball over in the first mm-hmm. quarter, you can forget about it. So I'm watching the game, and I'm like, it's competitive. I'm, I'm like, what is? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Marvin has like ten points in the first quarter. He can't miss. They're playing good defense despite the turnovers, and it yeah. kept going. I, I think the first quarter they played good or were decent offense, and and fortunately for them, the Cavs didn't really come out ready to play, and they missed a lot of open shots. They weren't very physical in that first quarter. The defense was normal Cavs defense, but just wasn't that next-level Cavs defense that we've seen uh, time after time from them in, in this year in the Eastern Conference. And so the Hornets, they hung around, they hung around. The second quarter wasn't uh, the best for them, but a team in the Hornets that is not known for being a third-quarter team, they're they're known more for coming out, at least amongst Hornets fans, they're known for coming out of halftime a little flat, but they come out in that third quarter extremely energetic, and the three big stars for the Hornets, in my mind, has to be, number one, Jeremy Lin, had his best all-around game of the year, 24 points, eight beautiful assists, and five rebounds, and MKG, who, again, just continues, continues to do everything the Hornets need that doesn't show up on the stat sheet, and now he's doing a lot of things that do show up on the stat sheet. And then Frank Kaminsky, seven of eight from the field. My goodness. So would do would you say we go player by player, or would you say maybe we just kind of just jump I, in? It? I think I think we should we should stick with those three stars because I think you know you had one and Frank Kaminsky off the bench, and then Jeremy Lin stepping up big, and then you know again MKG coming back off of injury. I mean these are three important players. But three players that I, I don't know if you well the Hornets obviously didn't expect to have MKG back, and then you, you've got Lynn who's a reserve, Frank who is a reserve, and stepping up in big ways. So let's let's start with Lynn though. Again, I just said best all around game. W- what was most impressive to you about his performance? I a lot of people, um, I guess who really don't follow the NBA. They they take a lot of stabs at Jeremy Lin, but Jeremy Lin, he's he's a he's a really good basketball player in, in my opinion. Uh, every every stop in his career, he's been a solid basketball player. And this year, Lin, I think this is definitely the best year he's having. And last night, he one he did one thing he always um, that Clifford always raves about. He's always in the paint, mm-hmm. and when you get in the paint. That draws attention, and when that draws attention, you're uh, you're able to get others involved. And you know, we know he can knock down an open jump shot. Mm-hmm. And another thing that he did, what I, I felt was really important late in the game, is when Cleveland was was coming back, and, and you think, oh my gosh, here comes the collapse. As soon as they would get to the door and, and thought they were going to open it, Jeremy Lin was right there to close it. And I I'm very critical of, of uh, Jeremy Lin. I, I usually say if he has to play 30, 33 plus minutes. You know, he's a he's an accident waiting to happen, in the words of Stephen A. Smith. But last night, I was wrong. And he played phenomenal. I think he had 24 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. Very complete game. And 
And he was one of the, the main reasons, you know, why Charlotte was able to end that five-game winning streak last night. Yeah, the two free throws and then uh, the possession where he drove deep into the defense, got just enough past Kyrie Irving, but then was able to stop his momentum. Everyone else could not stop their momentum, and there he was free, and he pulls up and, and knocks down a little jumper from inside the lane. And those were important moments because the Cavs were starting a, a late run, and they had gotten it down to a six-point lead for the Hornets. And, and that's an elite team, and elite teams are able to make that run in the fourth quarter. You knew it was coming. I think the Hornets knew it was coming, and they had to find a way to counterpunch. And the guy that was able to make that counterpunch was Jeremy Lin, and he did it with his scoring there, but throughout the game, he was able to do it with his court vision. And I think the most impressive thing to me in this game, but also the entire season with Jeremy Lin, is his ability to be comfortable with varying roles. So when he's been a reserve and he's played alongside Kemba, he's been able to really provide that scoring punch for the Hornets. But when then he's asked in this game to really not only be that scoring punch, but also facilitate the offense entirely as Batum, you know, still I think is getting back into his rhythm off of that toe injury. Jeremy Lamb, a lot of these guys are are getting, you know, their first couple of minutes after spending a lot of time on the bench. And Jeremy Lin was able to do it all. And, and I think that's extremely impressive considering how many different roles he's had to play this year. He's, he, I mean, he's invaluable to this team, I think. And we, this is not surprising. I'm not saying this. Uh, and and people, I think, are shocked because that's what he was brought in to do. He was brought in to be a playmaker. He was brought in to be a reserve where if Kimba is injured, they have a starter-level point guard that can hold down the ship for the captain. One thing I really like about Lynn is he's not overly vocal, but you can tell in his game he has a very confident game. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday, somebody asked Clifford about, you know, him taking big shots. I, ha- I have that audio. Let's, oh, let, yeah, clutch. yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's play that. This is what Clifford had to say uh, after practice today about Jeremy Lin. You know, he has courage. He's confident. Uh, he has courage. He works hard on his game, and I think that late in the game, just like he did last night, you know, he wants the ball. And that's important. A guy that of his talent level that wants the ball, that wants the responsibility. And Kimba's the same way. And so when you have a guy in Kimba and then he's not able to play, to have another guy that can do that, that wants that responsibility, that wants that late-game pressure, that isn't afraid, that's a huge asset for a potential playoff team. People didn't like um, that he... You know, he's getting $7 million a year, but I um, I feel like he's justifying that $7 million a year uh, quite well at this point in the season. And um, when you went back to that play of, of, you know, being able to hold his momentum and creating that shot in the paint late in the game, I would say maybe a month or two months ago, Clifford would talk about that people didn't know about Lynn is, is he's a strong basketball player. And, and anybody who knows Clifford, he paints you a picture if he's giving you a quote. And he was going into detail about how able Lynn is able to to get past his defender and strong enough to hold him on his hip 
to be able to either am I going to decide, am I going to drop this off to the big man? Am I, I going to try to swing this across court? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to pull up? And he did that yesterday. And I watched and I was thinking as I'm watching him set this play up, I'm like, Clifford, this is exactly what Clifford was talking about. And that shot was a, was a big shot late in the fourth to be able to carry the horns to victory. Uh, another big player in this game, Frank Kaminsky. We're going to talk to Adi Joseph here in just a few minutes about his article that he wrote for SportingNews.com. He's the NBA editor over there on Frank Kaminsky and his development this season. And Justin, I'm actually going to go send you to to go grab him. This is good, good live radio. Uh, so, uh, but I want to continue talking about this Cavs game. the The big number, I think, team wise to to know about this game is the rebounding. The Hornets were physical on the boards they out rebounded the Cleveland Cavaliers again let me repeat that they re- they out rebounded the Cleveland Cavaliers that paid an enormous amount of money to Tristan Thompson to go and rebound Tristan Thompson ended up with only 4 rebounds in 34 minutes in this game the Hornets out rebounded the Cleveland Cavaliers 49 to 28 after the game LeBron James said that's you know that's unacceptable and and it, honestly it would if the shoe were on the other foot I would say for the Hornets, that would be unacceptable, but I would understand because you expect the Cleveland Cavaliers with their size, with their physicality, to come out and and, and out-rebound you. And, and if they happen to do it significantly, again, that's something that, that I, would, I wouldn't think that it was a good thing for the Hornets, but it would certainly be understandable. But for that to happen to the Cleveland Cavaliers, I think, is just a testament to really this entire game, the the energy and the focus and the physicality in this game, I think, set this game up as probably the best performance that the Hornets have had all season. I'm okay with saying that because it was the number one team in the East. It wasn't home, and the Hornets have played so much better at home than they have on the road. So, you know, had they gotten this victory on the road, it obviously would have been a bigger deal, but just to beat the number one team in the East is amazing. But Cody Zeller and Marvin Williams, especially physical underneath Marvin Williams, really getting after Kevin Love, as we said previously, and Kevin Love has been their igniter in this six game stretch since they, they fired Blatt. And just the strategy choices that the Hornets made, the switches early with, with MKG and Marvin Williams switching uh, with Love, I think that was a huge deal. Tactically, they came in with the right mentality, but you know, it was it was the physicality and the mentality that the Hornets had that got them this victory. Okay, Justin, um, we have to talk about this other thing that happened at the Cleveland Cavaliers game. It happened really late in the game, but I, I think it is worthy of discussion because we've discussed this type of thing before on the show. Again, courtside fans at Time Warner getting a little too involved in the game and this time no no these fans did not get a warning this time so I'm watching the vine right now and hopefully um our wonderful producer will tweet out the link to this vine of of what happened here but a courtside fan uh LeBron James was trying to take out the ball and a courtside fan reaches out I guess to dap him he's got a close fist wanting to dap there and he must he touched LeBron James's arm and the ref sees it uh, blows the whistle, and they immediately threw these guys out. Justin, I just I can't deal with this. I'm like I'm so I am unapologetic for our fans in this situation. I was unapologetic in the first situation uh, when you had the fan 
getting into it with Kevin Durant, I just think like you are not part of the game. You're you're a you are a spectator, and it's a privilege to be that close to the game, and you just can't touch. Look, there's no there's no touching. That's that's even worse. You know what? Um, as as the saying goes, you you can't touch in a strip club. So I guess you can't. <laughs> well, that is you, how you the you can't touch these professional how, athletes. Look, these are entertainers. And, they and are this not, is what I'm thinking. If your buddies, if I'm paying twenty five hundred dollars though, four thousand dollars a seat, and I'm sitting courtside for LeBron. You know, it's it's down to what the last what two minutes or so in the game. If I'm close enough to touch LeBron, let's think I'm gonna get thrown out. The game's basically over, and I get to touch LeBron. No, I'm gonna no! I'm gonna tap him. If no. I can tap LeBron, yeah, I die of nothing. I can say I physically tap LeBron James. That guy has a memory that'll last a <laughs> lifetime. These I don't guys think might you have, do These it. guys might have gotten a band that lasted a lifetime. You know, and I hope I hope they did because they, to me this is un. Acceptable. But I do agree. I do agree with, I don't think you should do it. But I'm just thinking, I've had a few beers, maybe a few whiskeys. No, And no. I'm courtside and I see LeBron, you know. You're speaking heavily hey, hypothetically. I've right? had some good, yeah. you know, I, I touched Kobe one time, ill-advised, <laughs> ill-advised as a high schooler. Okay, it worked out high- and he gave me a wristband. Okay. It, well. Great moment, right? Listen, you can't. <laughs> Oh my god! Great moment. I have to listen. Forget. It. I'm bringing in Adi Joseph for this conversation because I think this is too important. Uh, Adi, welcome, welcome back into the studio. Hey guys. Hey, hey. So we're talking about this situation with a fan. I just think again, um, it's trying to get a little serious about this. Like you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't be a part it. of the game. Can't you can't it. because. This is about people pay to watch the spectator. The people pay to watch the performers. They do not pay to watch the spectators. And this LeBron James is not your buddy. He's he is not going to to uh, he's not going to dap you up. He's not going to dap you back. This is I, I don't care if alcohol is involved. Like that's not the point. Like this is insane. Yeah, and I think you know if you want to if you want to dap him up after he makes a shot. And he's going back. That's different. This is perfect. Put your hand yeah. out. Let him make the decision. Right. And you his know, body, his choice. I also just hope that Justin never gets courtside seats. Yeah. Good lord. Good no. Lord. Now I wouldn't do it. He was speaking heavily, <laughs> hypothetically. I wouldn't do it, but I understand their rationale. I, I do don't understand. I don't think there's any rationale. I don't think there's any reason here because you're assuming. And you have. And you bring up a great point, Audie. There's some context here. If he's a Cavaliers fan and the Cavs are up 15. There's some context, but if if you're a Hornets fan trying to dap LeBron James when they're down almost double digits at this point, then there's no there's oh my god this uh, I I don't think I get more um, stuff that LeBron hasn't dealt with. That's the other thing. Well, he didn't react, and that that's a good point. Like LeBron deals with this all the time, and but I just think that like fans, I don't I don't really expect fans to be better than this, but I, I just wish. You just don't. It just doesn't make any sense. It's not going to dap you back. You're not going to get backstage passes to the concert. Drink responsibly, people. <laughs> I get a wristband, though. Apparently, <laughs> maybe one time. <laughs> well, check it out. Let us know what you think at Hive Talk Live. Let's get back to the game, though. Uh, Frank Kaminsky, seven of eight from the field, um, just had himself a time, especially underneath the rim. Twelve points. And then six rebounds. He was part of that 49 to 28 rebounding advantage. And we have Audie Joseph. He's the NBA editor for Sporting News here. And, and you wrote a great article 
on uh, Frank Kaminsky. And the title of the article is Frank Kaminsky is the NBA's most unique rookie. Now, Adi, unique can sometimes be a backhanded compliment, but I know you, you didn't mean it that way, right? I meant it as as what it is. It's uh, <laughs> He's a very interesting player, a very interesting person. I really like him as a person. I think that he has potential, but he's going to need to do what he did last night. going to need to do that more often than what he had been doing for a lot of uh, the second half of January because he had been struggling quite a bit before uh, this month began. And what what were some of the things that were leading to that struggle in your mind? Well, first of all, he's, you know, with all those injuries, he became the guy on the second unit. And mm. he's not ready to be the guy at any time in a, in a basketball game. Mm. And I, I don't think that, uh, you know, consistently having him touch the ball at the top of the key like they were doing, I think that puts him in the position where he has to make a lot of decisions. And he's a very smart player. But... That's a lot to ask of a rookie, you know, and yeah. he's he's he is a rookie. He may be half a season in. He may have been a senior in college when he left for the draft, but he's he's still a rookie and that's a lot of pressure to put on him. Yeah, well, I think that Pete, there's a an argument that that fans would make and and probably fans that weren't a fan of of him being drafted and they would say, "Wait a minute. He played 4 years of college. The big sell on this guy was that he was experienced, ready to come in and play now. So why are you telling me that it's it wasn't good for him to be the man on the second unit. Well, and and I think that that's certainly part of it. And I and you know he is he's three years older than Justice Winslow and three years older than Devin Booker, more than three years older than Devin Booker. So those are the two guys that a lot of Hornets fans wanted them to take. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, they were the guys that I think a lot of people expected them to to take and. Uh, the best thing that I can say is, yes, Devin Booker is tearing it up right now, but the Suns aren't winning. Uh, I wouldn't put as much stock into what his numbers are lately. I'd say Kaminsky is the type of guy who will one day be a very good role player. Um, even at his best, I don't know that he's ever going to be the guy who gets the ball all the time, hopefully in second units, but probably not in a starting situation. So you're throwing him into a pretty complicated situation with a bunch of guys like, with no offense to them, you know, Brian Roberts and Troy Daniels, who are not expecting to play as much as they have had to lately. Adi Joseph, NBA editor for SportingNews.com, joining us here talking about his article. You can you can read it on SportingNews.com. Frank Kaminsky is the NBA's most unique rookie so he's had an interesting development cycle in the NBA so far just because of the various injuries the Hornets have sustained. He's He, like we talked about, Jeremy Lin has had to play a variety of different roles and with different playing groups. How do you – you talk to the staff and you talk to his teammates about Frank's development. How do they view that so far this season? It's um, – there's not a single person who's around him who's not really, really – excited about his skills and what he brings to the table and his professionalism and his even a sense of humor. I think uh, several players called him the funniest guy on the team. And, uh, you know, I think what we're going to see with him mm-hmm. and what we what we have seen, another thing that's going to really help him is the last couple of weeks they've had to play a bunch without Cody Zeller, Al Jefferson. Those are the two guys who we can really, like, 
contrast as big men. He's been playing a lot with Spencer Hawes and Marvin Williams, who are trying to do similar things to him. So I think you'll see a better contrast now that he can play with Cody and at some point, whenever he's back, Al, uh, they'll help set off what he does as more unique. I've noticed, and and we've sort of discussed this idea, is Frank Kaminsky shooting hitting the rookie wall because we've seen him struggle a little bit with that three-point shot. Um, But he's been very successful underneath the rim, and so that makes you question, well, maybe he's not hitting any kind of mythical rookie wall. What do you think has led to his success underneath the rim over the past few weeks? He's seven foot. I like well, uh, well, Doug, listen, um, he's tall. Uh, he's closer to the baskets. Um, let me uh, break out my physics book here. Uh, no, yeah, no, I, but but he's, he's obviously he's crafty, too. He has yeah. he played point guard for a lot of his high school uh, time, at least early in high school, because he because he had like a big growth spurt. Yeah. Right. He was late, he played a little high point school. Guard, yeah. And then um, I believe he was probably like 6'10 when he came to Wisconsin. Mm. Now he's seven foot. Um, so. He's definitely grown a lot. Uh, the The best way to put it is he has a very old school guard style of game that he applies to being a seven footer, and it's it's very interesting to watch um, stuff that you just don't expect a seven footer to even try to do. He'll do, and sometimes he accomplishes it. But I think the big thing all, across all of the types of shots he's taken is he's. Steve Clifford is every time you ask him about Frank, he says the same thing. Once once he gets stronger, once he gets stronger, once he gets stronger, and some of the shots that he takes and misses and has missed lately are shots that when he's three years into his NBA career, he'll make. So it's mm-hmm. good for him to try to from a developmental standpoint. It's good that he's even trying these things because he's trying a lot. And I've seen him finish better. Through contact, I mean, you know, Kevin Love was guarding him for a portion of this Cleveland game, so you have to take that with a grain of salt. But he was finishing through Love's contact, and that's something we didn't see earlier in the year. And you know, I, there's, I think there's an element of strength, obviously, to not get knocked off your path when you're going towards the rim. But I think there's also a, a mental aspect of of dealing with the fact that every time you step on a basketball court, the guy guarding you is is so much bigger than anyone that ever guarded you in college. And so you sort of have to make that mental leap. And then uh, we've seen, I think we've seen him play a lot better through contact, but he's still, you're right. He still scores underneath with, with skill and and finesse. Um, Strength is a significant issue for sure, but how is he adjusting his style of play? Do you think in his four years of college to now being a rookie in the NBA, is there any, adjustment there from from has he said anything or do you do you see anything yeah Spencer Hawes who um many might remember from the king well no one watched the kings back then but (laughs) if you were watching the Sacramento Kings when Spencer Hawes uh broke in and he was he was a similar player but he actually even though now he shoots threes well Mm -hmm. he didn't really shoot for the first couple seasons in his NBA career but Hawes did have a lot of the perimeter skills and the ball handling and the passing that Kaminsky has. Yeah. And he was saying to me when talking about Frank, he said, the thing that you have to learn is everyone you, when you're a finesse seven-footer and you're playing power forward in particular, there's going to be a whole bunch of guys like Trevor Booker who gave him a lot of problems who are going to just sort of 
manhandle you underneath. They're going to love the fact that they are so much stronger than you and have that leverage advantage. So I think he's going to have to learn how to sort of balance his weight out and stay low and keep the ball low when he needs to keep it low and keep the ball high when he needs to keep it high. And he's going to have to figure out how to use his height to his advantage because right now he isn't necessarily using his height to his advantage, especially away from the basket. Um, So I think he's going to learn how to take advantage of what he has that's different than other players Mm. more and more. Right now he sort of plays a lot like a wing. He fell to ninth uh, to the Hornets, uh, and some had him projected a little higher. Do you think the the way that the Hornets, the mentality that the Hornets have, the strategy that that they use, and the the personnel that they have, do you think it's a good fit for Frank to develop into a modern NBA center? I don't know if they want him to be a center. I mean, I I know right now they want him to be a power forward uh, almost full-time. Only the the only reason he was playing center recently was because of injuries. But you know they don't pair him with Marvin that often, um, and when they do, Marvin's actually often playing the three. So you think their future? I don't know plans. what I don't know what the future plan is because yeah. I think a lot of that is going to depend on how good Kaminsky is and how good Cody Zeller is. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily think we have answers on either of those things right now. Cody, you know, in year three of his career, is he kind of looks like a backup big man. He does not look like the guy who you want to build around as your starting center. But he is also he's only a little bit, just slightly older than Frank. So it's it's important to remember that he might take a developmental step forward. You talked earlier about his goofy sense of humor uh, off the court. He's obviously loves to dance. We saw him dance uh, when they made the trip to China, and he's very funny on social media, and he's doing commercials. But on the court, he looks like a serious dude. He doesn't play around when he's on the court. Yeah, he's – I don't think any NBA players really do. Very few. I guess there's Nick But Young, there's no – there's J.R. No, Smith. Yeah, J.R. Smith. But oh, there's man. not even some the like some – <laughs> you know, Some guys will smirk. They'll, they, they look like they're, they're out there – you know, playing ball, having a good time, and then some guys. I think it's a spectrum, and then yeah. you have guys like Tyler Hansborough who are, are crazy. Like yeah. there's, I, he's he looks like he falls sort of in the middle of that yeah. spectrum. I think Bo Ryan would never let a player <laughs> express any sense of humor during a game, and I think that's probably like if it was ever there. If he was doing that when he was younger, four years under Bo Ryan will coach that right out of you. Um, He's no, definitely he's Marvin Williams made a made a point like as soon as I asked Marvin about Frank's sense of humor he's like he's funny but the thing that really impresses me is he shuts it down as soon as we get to work every day he's in you know Marvin said I'm one of the first guys in and he beats me in every single day and he is serious when he's practicing he's serious when he's on the court playing he's serious when he's in the weight room and he's hilarious in the, on the plane and that's the way it should be, right? You know that you you don't you don't want to be the guy who can't ever take a joke, but you also don't want to be the guy who becomes a joke. Well, I think it's 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 refreshing to see him have like a confidence and a focus out there, and you know, putting those two things together, I think, are good indicators of future success. So I I, th- I think that's a good thing as well. So what's the one thing that you think, just watching Kaminsky play, that he has to focus on other than obviously bulking up to go from 
most unique rookie to one of the best sophomores in the NBA? I think he needs to work on sliding into the corner and catching the ball and shooting quickly. He doesn't have a very fast release. Um, he he needs to work on being a complementary player because he's been a star for the last two years. And even, like I said, when he's playing in that second unit, he often comes across as a star. He looks more comfortable when the ball is in his hands. That's not the ideal stretch four. The ideal stretch four is a guy who catches the ball in the corner, pops up a shot, and makes it. And that's not to say that that he should ever lose the unique things that he does. Mm -hmm. It's just to say he needs to work on when Kemba and Nick and MKG and Al are the other four guys on the court— you're the last option, young man. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. He needs to sort of realize where he falls in that hierarchy and and become better at being a complimentary player. Well, because when he puts the ball on the floor, it catches defenders off guard right now. it does. But it's not going to always. Yeah, I I think once the tape catches up, you hope that he can develop into a complimentary player as opposed to those type of plays will end up resulting in turnovers more often than not once the tape catches up. Or he becomes the best player on the court, and then it's fine. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe – and we really – that's the fun of basketball is that we get to sort of watch and and hope the the coin flips uh, the correct way. Um, So the Hornets get a big win. We'll we'll talk about some sort of overall Hornets stuff. Uh, The Hornets get a big win over the Cavaliers. How much much should we take from this? Uh, The Hornets are getting a little bit more healthy – but they did beat the number one team in the East. What should we? What should we? How much stock should we put in this big win in the, uh, at the start of this homestand? That win was huge, and they've been so injured. And this is MKG's first time ever playing a game with Nick Batum. Oh no, second. No, no, he's played with Batum. This is his first time playing with a fully healthy team or close yeah. to it, yeah. though. And um, you know that was big. And MKG looks terrific. That's the biggest part of this is he's he looks better than he did at any point last year. He looks more confident. He looks like he's worked on his shooting mechanics a bit. And did you notice he was dribbling a lot? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was setting up the offense on some plays, and that's certainly encouraging, and I think that's going to help them a lot. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting that the team is finally getting healthy enough. This is a weird statement that I'm about to say. The team is finally getting healthy enough where the depth that they added in the offseason is starting to show up. Because the Hornets, I think, were so injured that even the depth that they added couldn't make a a huge impact. So now, you know, you have a situation where Lynn steps in for Kimba, and, you know, Frank plays a big role off the bench in this game, and now they're finally getting healthy enough where the depth can... Is that weird? Does that make any sense? My, My... it, it makes sense because <laughs> like when you, when your key players are are getting hurt and you're, you're throwing in guys that really aren't expect. Troy Daniels was getting was getting some some major burn and you know he can shoot but I mean I don't know if I want Troy Daniels now. Granted, he had the really good game in Sacramento and you know guys are due for good nights every now and then. But you know as as much as I I like the the few things that Troy Daniels can do, I don't know if you want Troy Daniels playing. 25 to 30 minutes a night. I don't I don't think that sets up for you to win if that's the case. Yeah, it's tough. And, I mean, a simple thing. And, you know, P.J. Hairston has had his games. Mm-hmm. But the upgrade between Michael K. Gilchrist and P.J. Hairston is... Monumental. 
absolutely enormous. In fact, it was the one position where they didn't have as much depth, where they didn't have sort of a replacement player to to throw in. Uh, coming into the season, it was the it was you know MKG was probably the mo- in my opinion the most important player on the roster, and they were missing him, and they were missing him, you know, and it was great to see PJ have a few big games and 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 find some confidence, and then you know he sort of started shooting poorly again, and MKG came back, and the defensive upgrades, the rebounding upgrades, the playmaking upgrades, even if he cannot quite shoot as well as Hairston. he's he's a, just a clearly better player and that's going to be a huge advantage well the skill level of mkg versus pj Hairston is obviously there's a there's a huge gap there but i think there's also a willingness by mkg to impact the game in a variety of different ways and he seeks those out he's like a missile out there looking for ways to impact the game just and, throwing himself everywhere yeah exactly <laughs> and 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 it not only impacts the game positively directly but indirectly guys are are then i mean i'm seeing frank you know get offensive rebounds and uh, cody was really physical in this game and that's what you you have to have you know especially when you go up a te- against a team like the cavaliers who are physical and are the number one team in the east you have to go after them with everything that you have and that's the kind of mentality that mkg brings on the court every time and and it's certainly been uh, the upgrade that the Hornets have needed to make any kind of run. So when you look ahead to, to this game against the Heat on Friday, what are you looking for in terms of some keys to this game? I know they're, they've, they've just got Whiteside back, so that could be there could be some impact there. Yeah, the Heat, uh, the Heat are a weird team. Very weird. And um, they're a very talented team, very experienced team. That doesn't play like an experienced team a lot of the time, and uh, they're a tough matchup. But I think the one thing that the Heat are susceptible to is what the Hornets actually have right now with their current lineup, which is an extremely athletic team. And they're gonna, if they're smart, they're going to use Cody Zeller to take Whiteside out of the game, much in the way that they kept basically. Tristan Thompson was almost a, a complete and total non-factor uh, last night. And, you know, you take Whiteside out of the paint, you take Whiteside out of the game, you box him out on every possession, and then you you basically force Dwayne Wade and, and Goran Dragic to try to beat you, and they have not been consistently playing well together this year. So that's probably the goal a big key is is Kemba going to play do we I don't believe we know for sure he's listed as questionable but it sounded after practice like he I mean you 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 were there you know Justin um I every indication is that he'll play he they had drained a, his knee he right? had his knee drained and Cliver said you know if he goes through shoot around he'll play Kemba said he felt great um he's going to play so barring any setbacks there's a 99.99% chance that Kimba plays. And it goes back to what we said, and I don't know if you get this indication, but we talked about this on Tuesday. I, I think that Clifford, at the end of the day, trusts his players to know their bodies. And if they say, look, I can play, then he's going to let them play. And, you know, sometimes it can bite you with, like, Batum getting re-injured. But I think for the most part, it's good to have a coach that, that trusts the players you know, knowing their own body and whether they want to play or not. It felt like Lynn, you know, Lynn had that ankle injury in, I think, late December, and he missed, like, one game. 
and he was listed as questionable a couple times, and he wasn't playing his best at that stretch, and mm-hmm. it sort of felt like he might have been playing through something he maybe shouldn't have played through. But now mm-hmm. he last last night he was probably his best game as a Hornet from an overall perspective in terms Absolutely. of, especially in the second half. You know, he was really controlling the game, and that was important and impressive to see. Adi, always good to have you, my friend. Um, how is it? Uh, one sort of non-Hornets question. You're, you're obviously you're sort of on, on national beat for for sporting news, but how is it to be in Charlotte when basically everyone local has evacuated for uh, Santa Clara and the Panthers? Is it any different? Just hanging around, being I, involved in the sports. Yeah, world? I think you know. I was surprised last last night. Um, there were a decent number of people there at the uh, covering the Hornets. Uh, their locker room is pretty crowded, and um, certainly, you know, for the say the Charlotte Observer, it's crucial to send everyone out there for the Panthers and the Super Bowl. It's the Super Bowl. Yeah, you don't get to do this. I hear very it's a big often. deal. <laughs> so you know, I, I've worked for local newspapers before, and uh, I understand that mentality. But I think the NBA is the NBA, and this is one heck of a homestand, four game homestand from high profile teams. So. Yeah, I I think it, I think it would be interesting to see the impact of this game had it not been the week before the Carolina Panthers compete in the Super Bowl. I just think it would have you know, had. There were a lot of people there last night. It was too. Packed. No, no, no. I, yeah. I no. I'm talking just on the. I think everyone did a great job of reporting the game. I'm saying the impact that it would have on Charlotte sports. I'm talking even like the arena though. Had a oh, yeah. lot of yeah. Hornets fans. They oh, yeah. booed LeBron. Remember, there was a guy who got put on a dance cam or emoji cam. Mm. <laughs> a new addition, by the way. Yeah, emoji cam where you have to act out an emoji. Right. And he was wearing a Cavs jersey and the whole crowd booed him. Yeah. And I was like, there are that many Ca- Hornets fans here? <laughs> like, I figured half the crowd would just be LeBron fans. But there were a lot of Hornets fans, and then they put the poop emoji on as soon as they brought that guy on, and that was funny. It's classic. When LeBron was on the heat, I'm a conspiracy theorist, though. I think I don't. I don't. I wonder if that guy was really a cast. (laughs) I'm I'm a. I'm. You know, I've been behind the scenes. I don't know. Maybe it was. Maybe they were being real. Hey, you know, people like LeBron out here. (laughs) He's a likable guy. Yeah, Adi. Thanks for joining us, my friend. Uh, You can read the article we linked it on the post on SportingNews.com and follow Adi on Twitter at. A-D-I, Joseph. Thanks, man. Yep. Have a good one. All right. Let's, uh, let's, keep, talking, let's keep talking about Frank Kaminsky because I have a little audio here from after practice uh, from uh, Steve Clifford talking about uh, Frank, his impact on the team. Let's take a listen to that. He was, had games where he shot only jumpers, and it's hard to play that way. So when he gets to the basket, he's got more chance to get fouled. He can pass out of the post. Um, and I think he's more confident, comfortable down there. So, um, you know, he's worked with Patrick some on his post-ups too, which I think will help. But, uh, you know, going forward, I mean, we're going to keep getting him in the post. So that was Steve Clifford talking about Frank's sort of changing role on the team from exclusively a, a three-point shooting big man to something that the Hornets have consciously tried to do, which is get him more involved in the post and we've seen him be successful, as we talked about with Adi, because of his quickness and, I think, just his – it's a confidence, but it's also mental, I think, because he is able to fake guys out. And that's and I don't want to throw that away because this is the NBA. I mean, these guys see a lot 
uh, especially these post defenders, I mean, they see a lot of different things. But he's got some Al Jeffersonian fakes in his arsenal already. And I think even if the tape catches up to Frank, there's a certain special element to the way he can dip and dive and move and anticipate what his defender is going to do. And and I think that may sustain him through whatever slumps are going to come. Uh, my tone is slightly different um, okay. than Addy's when it, when it comes to Frank. I really like his skill set. And... There's there's something there's something about him is is he really really wants to be good. I remember, mm-hmm. I believe it was like the first or second day of training camp, and Kaminsky, um, Clifford was telling the story that Kaminsky came to ask him about um, one of their you know one of their defensive looks that you know that they wouldn't they weren't going to implement to about this point in the season, and and when you have somebody that's doing their homework that much. Um, it shows. I know whether it's a shoot around or a practice. Kaminsky is usually the last person to leave the floor. Um, I'm I'm sure he's a, he's aware of his flaws and and needing to add strength, and, and that's gonna come. Um, Clifford also touched on. You know, he's gotten better. Um, he's done some uh, hip workouts to to you know give some strength when he's in the post and and improve his lateral quickness and also in his upper body. Because you know he's 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 a very confident guy. Um, he, when you talk to him, you know you know when he when he's speaking, he speaks with convention. And earlier in the year, people were asking, you know, Clifford, can we can we get? Um, are there any things we're going to get him in the paint? And you know, Clifford said, you know, I, I just haven't found a way to to get him down there. And now you know, Clifford ha- has found some ways to get him down there. They're they're running plays for him. And that's big. Do, do I know if Frank Kaminsky is going to be a superstar? I don't know. Um, but do I think he'll be? I think he'll be slightly better than a role player, if if not significantly better than a role player, because he just he has a few intangibles that I really feel like are going to help him succeed in this league. Let us know what you think, as always, on Twitter at Hive Talk Live. Let's talk about Friday Hornets going up against the Miami Heat. We we talked a little bit about this with Adi Joseph. Uh, first, a little injury update. Walker again questionable for this game. He did have his he had some left knee soreness. He had that knee drained. It appears if he's good for shoot around, he could play in this game. Jefferson, Al Jefferson, still out. But by God, this team's almost healthy. Like the the Hornets are getting there. They're very close to being fully healthy. They're they're almost there. And what I think is 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 really special about these you know upcoming games is. I don't know if I'm gonna get the order right, but I, it's Miami. They get Miami and Chicago. It's Miami Wizards, and then and then Chicago. Yes. Okay. Like those are three winnable games because yeah. we all know how the East is set up. You string together three, four wins, you could possibly jump to seven. Right. And they don't even. And I think they're gonna be even better when they get Al back. So I think they're they're at this point now where. You know they they have some winnable games on the roster. Confidence is building, and and one thing I wanted to say about MKG last night is he has a he's also a guy that he has a certain his energy is is infectious. Um, there was a series late in the game where Miami, I mean, excuse me, where Cleveland was making a charge, and he made like two or three hustle plays. That when you when you saw him making those hustle plays, it got the crowd into it. It it 
threw a little toughness into Spencer Hawes and, and, and him getting physical and, and inserting his presence against a smaller J.R. Smith, it shows that, you know, at the start of the season, people felt that this Hornets team was a playoff team. Granted, they've had those injuries, but now, um, now I don't want to get too ahead of himself because, you know, they can have a good win and come out of here and turn the ball over eight times in the first quarter and lose by 15. Those games have happened multiple times. But at home, they're hard to beat, and they have some winnable games that I think can really generate some excitement and, and uh, hopefully get this team trending in the right direction if they can stay healthy. And the Miami Heat are in the midst of a road trip. They're missing Tyler Johnson, who played a key reserve role off the bench at point guard. Uh, he just had successful shoulder surgery, but they'll miss him for a while. This is also a Buzz City night, so they'll have the black jerseys on, and they're honoring former Hornet Alonzo Mourning, who was inducted to the Hall of Fame in 2014, spent three seasons with the Charlotte Hornets. He averaged 21 points, 10 rebounds, 3.2 blocks in 35 minutes per game. Morning is the all-time leader in Charlotte NBA history in both blocks and blocks per game, and he ranks second in points per game and second in rebounds per game. So he's all over the Charlotte Hornets' record books despite uh, only being in Charlotte for three seasons. He, he also owns one of the most iconic Hornets history moments ever, in my opinion, and that's, of course, his 20-foot shot to beat Boston in Game 4 in 1993, that was the game winner. That was the series winner. It was the Hornets' first playoff series victory. So I had someone say that they were a little conflicted about honoring Alonzo in this way because he only spent three seasons in Charlotte, didn't spend anywhere close to his career. In fact, his Hall of Fame status really lies a lot with his time in Miami, who will be visiting uh, on that night, so that makes sense that it's Alonzo morning night. But how? Are, what are your feelings on it? Do you think that it's it's okay to honor him in this way, even though he only spent three seasons? I do, simply because one, he was really good, and two, the the Hornets were fresh. Um, you had him, Larry, Muggsy. You know, he was a he was a part of the face of of this team, mm-hmm. and and granted, he didn't spend a lot of years here. Um, just uh, there's still people with the teal Alonzo Morning jersey. Granted, I've never been a Hornet supporter. I'm a Lakers fan, but my mom <laughs> he touched Kobe, know, folks. We, know, we already hey, know that. You know, that's a magical story, people, for another day. But I, you know, I do have the the teal Alonzo Morning jersey, and I feel like there'll definitely be some people out there excited to see Zoe because his time um, in Charlotte was short. But um, people did enjoy his three years. I think I'm I'm totally okay with it because he was one of this franchise's first big stars. And again, he owns that iconic Hornets moment. And I don't think any franchise, unless you have you know, 50, 60 years of history, uh, f- can forget the, the first playoff series victory. It's, it's a seminal moment for a franchise. It puts you on the map as a, as a legitimate NBA franchise. And so... I think um, that Alonzo morning night will be will be an exciting one, and of course, again, they get to wear the black jerseys, and anytime they get to do that, uh, I I enjoy watching. Last time the Hornets played the Heat, it was in Charlotte, and the Hornets won big, ninety nine to eighty one. Batum notched a triple double, the only triple double the Hornets have had this season. Ten points, eleven rebounds, eleven assists. Marvin and Kimba both notching eighteen apiece, and I'll say this about Marvin Williams. 
he had he had a little bit of a, a a dip in his play. He did, but he has come on strong the, these past games and and couldn't have picked a better time because the Hornets have been injured. Definitely go check out Russell Varner's article on at the Hive profiling Marvin Williams, who uh, leads. It's the only player in the league. This is a great stat. The only player in the league that leads his team in blocks and three point shooting percentage. So that's wow. That's, that's a, a pretty good stat. Good stat. Rim protect and 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 we've somewhat mentioned it, but probably haven't mentioned it enough. How Marvin Williams? This was no. This was not a given. This is a surprise. Marvin Williams' rim protection has made up for the fact that the Hornets let Bismack Biombo hit the road because rim protection was going to be an issue and and certainly the, the hornets aren't the best at protecting the rim in the block sense but without mkg they somehow managed to um shore up the dam with marvin williams at power forward and that's a testament to what he was able to do and and his cardio regimen <laughs> marvin i don't know if you i don't know if you call him what a you know, a, a jack of all trades or a, a Swiss Army knife. I don't know what you label this man. I as. think MK, I think MKG is a Swiss Army knife. I think that Marvin is. I don't know what the analogy would be, but I think he picks one or two things that he says. Okay, I can be really good at these things, and I'm going to a- attack those things with everything I have. And and I think as a team, like you need several guys like that who pick areas that they know they can make an impact on the game and they give you that consistently every night and three-point shooting and athletic defense have been Marvin's calling cards I think it's called three and D I'm t- there's only Clifford raves about two players just raves he raves about Nick Batum and you know he he loves Marvin Williams. Marvin's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think Marvin's contract is up at the end of the season. I would be shocked if Marvin wasn't here next season. Clifford just raves about him. He he's just he's not. It's not. But people are mentioning, sexy, and, and I haven't seen it. any rumors, but people are mentioning him in trade conversations as a possible option for a trade piece. Because, and I postulated earlier in the season. Would it when when Marvin was was getting hot before he hit a slump? Would it be time to sell high on Marvin because he provides things that teams need three point shooting and defense, and he's doing it in the latter parts of his career? So it's probably not going to get much better than this, and and could for all intents and purposes take take a jump off the cliff because that's what bodies do. They they perform they perform they perform and then one day you wake up and you can't do it anymore. Ask Kobe. <laughs> and that's my boy. That's your, you touched him. Uh, <laughs> hey, I, I still have that wristband on that magical night when he scored fifty six. I, I will never wash this wristband again. Oh, I, oh, I haven't. Um, let me give you a big storyline for this game. Something to watch for. Amari Stoudemire's play. Speaking of guys that kind of fell off the cliff, but he's having a little bit of a resurgence. He's averaging nearly 22 minutes per game over their last eight, 9.5 points, 57% shooting, 7.5 rebounds, and a block for the Miami Heat uh, in Whiteside's absence. But Hassan Whiteside, again, made his return 
and they split time, uh, 17 minutes apiece against Dallas. So it will be interesting to watch in this game how they use Whiteside and Amari Stoudemire, the Heat, getting killed with small ball. They they struggle to defend against small ball, and they struggle to produce good offense against small ball. So watch for the Hornets to get small as well. That game, Hornets versus Heat, tips off tomorrow at 7 o'clock p.m. All right, we got about five minutes left. Justin, time for one last thing, and we're going to go to the At The Hive roundtable question. Uh, we do these once a week on At The Hive. We ask one question, and the writers will get together and answer that question, and occasionally they knock on our door and asks, they ask us to discuss it. The question this week is, and I love this question, who would you put in the All-Star Weekend festivities, a Hornet? Which Hornet would you put in the All-Star Weekend festivities if you could, and which event would it be? Justin, which Hornet would you put in an all-star? So we're talking about three-point shooting. We're talking about dunk contest. We're talking about uh, celebrity all-star game. Who knows if you want to put them there? Um, or uh, the shooting. No, they got rid of the shooting challenge, the skills challenge. Who do you got? I'm putting Kimball Walker in the skills challenge. That's a good one. I, That's I think a popular one. There I are think. a lot of good guards in it, too. And yeah. That could be like a you know somewhat of a coming out party for him nationally. I think no, I think that's a good uh, realistic option. I love that. I'm also going to stick with the skills challenge, and, and I'm going to go with uh, Tyler Hansborough. <laughs> I would really like to hear your <laughs> rationale behind this. Because look, I'm 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 half serious about this because I think that these skills challenge and they they keep sort of switching these things out. We, we had the shooting stars challenge and then we had horse and some of these auxiliary events need some entertainment value. And I want to see Ty, Tyler Hansborough pull all the tricks out and he's, you know, he's going, he would give it 110% and he might even one of those things that they pass the ball through, he might like break that in half. I want to see yeah. him, just go full ham on the skills competition. See what he can do. He might foul. I don't think we've ever had a foul in a skills competition. I'm pretty sure he would commit some kind of foul he during would. because you know they all race together to hit that layup. I'm pretty sure he would foul in that situation. We could have a first in the skills challenge. Say it with me, folks. Tyler Hansborough skills challenge. Let's make this happen. That would be hilarious. Though. <laughs> I, I really think that Charlotte 2017 Tyler Hansborough, if he's still here. That would be hilarious. I, I think that would put people closer to the verge of tears because he would po- be serious no, listen, too. No, I think there's that element. And I think he's a, he's a popular player. This really wouldn't work in Toronto so much, but it wouldn't play there, but it would certainly play in Charlotte. There would be a huge uh, ovation for this guy. And again, I just think, you know, he plays with, with everything that he does, it, it, he commits to it one million percent, and I can't imagine who I would rather watch in in any kind of challenge. Uh, uh, I would watch Tyler Hansborough compete in in a pie eating contest. So I would certainly watch him uh, perform in the in the challenge, and I would love to see Frank in the celebrity game because I think Frank it would have it would give him a chance because we talked about it early in the show he's very serious on the basketball court when he's you know in an NBA game because that's the kind of mentality he has he wants to win he's got a desire and a focus that make that that's what makes him a successful player but he's also a goofy guy and I would love to see him mix it up with uh you know coached by Kevin Hart mix it up with some of these celebrities hey, I, I play with Muggsy 
I have a guy for you. Okay, give it to me. I'm putting Jordan in the celebrity game. <laughs> that would, oh man, the that internet. would sell tickets, ratings, and you know Jordan is. As arrogant as Jordan is, he'd try to go for 50. I don't know, man. I don't know if he would. I feel like that would be great. No, he would, that, he you would just blew my try mind. to go for 50. You just blew my mind. Cause because you know they always put like one you know, retired pro in there. Jordan would try to go for 50. No, that's, that's, a, that's a great suggestion. Do I don't know. Do you know tickets that would sell? Char- Listen, Charlotte. Oh, my gosh. They possibly could put that in the arena if Jordan said he would suit up and play in the Serbian. And they probably would sell out the entire arena for that. I, th- I think that's a guarantee. I mean, it's it is not definitely not the worst thing that you said on the show. I think the worst thing is that you touched Kobe. <laughs> what people love Kobe? Listen, don't touch the entertainers, folks. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks to our guest Adi Joseph from SportingNews.com, and thanks to ESPN Seven Thirty for helping us put on this show. And as soon as the Panthers get done, we're, we're going to be doing this from ESPN Studios. It'll be a great time. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live. We'll see you on for the Saturday sit down and then uh, Tuesday live 6 p.m. All hail the teal and purple. <laughs>